Welcome to the show. My name is Charlotte, and I'm your host for the next hour. Boy, it is so smoky. We have I'm in Sacramento, and we're in the valley, but I can tell you there's fires like two above us in the east, and now there's like two above us going the other direction in the north. One's a little closer than the other. There's one in Lake County now, and then there's one way up north in, in uh, near Mount Shasta. So we're getting smoke from everywhere. Last night um, during the sunset, it looked like Mars outside. It, it was spooky. Today when I woke up, um, I was kind of coughing. My throat was kind of scratchy, and I didn't realize because I don't have air conditioning in the main part of the house, so I didn't realize how the smoke was coming in until I went outside to do to pick up some stuff and do some stuff in my front yard. And oh my! So I'm glad to be in here in the studio with the air conditioning. Anyway, I again, my name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California, Nevada, Washington, Oregon. And parts of Hawaii. I want to welcome you all tonight to the show. Uh, we're doing really good ratings-wise lately, and I'm getting really excited. And I'll talk to you guys about it at the end. But our guest tonight—oh my, oh my, 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 my! Our guest tonight, Bruce Olive Solheim. I hope I pronounced it correctly. He is something and a half because he reminds me of a of somebody I knew quite a while ago. In fact, he was one of the guests on the show early on. Um, and uh, he is a, I'll let him describe because I don't want to, I, I don't want to mispronounce what he is. He's a medium, but he also talks with an ancient alien friend named Anzar. And so we're going to get to learn about that today. And he even wrote a book about it. So without further ado, let me get him on so he can best describe himself because I don't want to botch it. Here we go. Hello, sir. Hey, thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for having me on. I'm sorry you're having uh, smoky <laughs> days up there. We've had them down here, uh, of course, in Southern California, but uh, not not lately. We've been pretty lucky lately, but you know that luck will eventually run out in fire season. Of course, it's just part of it, part of everything. Yeah, another now. fire. Yeah, another fire just cropped up over in Lake County. So yeah, it's craziness, just craziness out there. Yeah. So you know what? I don't want to botch what you do and who you are. So why don't you tell my audience the details? <laughs> Well, uh, I uh, I was born in Seattle, uh, Washington, and uh, my parents are from Norway. They uh, came over in 1948 after World War II. Uh, so I grew up with two languages, two cultures, in a very vibrant Scandinavian uh, uh, part of Seattle. And uh, I uh, served in the uh, U.S. Army for six years. I was a jail guard. And then I was a helicopter pilot. Uh, oh. I finished my my degree while I was working for for or my master's degree when I was working at Boeing in, as a defense contractor. Uh, 
And then I decided I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to be in the corporate world. So I continued my education, finally got my PhD in history from Bowling Green State University in Ohio. And um, I've been, so I, I've been teaching for over 30 years now, uh, the last 24 here in Southern California. And uh, along the way, I, I've, I had uh, four children uh, ranging in age from uh, 41 to 20, uh, 21. So, and, uh, and I'm married to Ginger, who is who nice. also a helicopter pilot, by the way, which is interesting. Wow. She's that one of the few. Good. Yeah, there's very few women uh, who are not only helicopter pilots, but also certified flight instructors, too. So she can teach people to fly as well. Fantastic. Which, See, I've got I a cousin cannot. who um, flew in, um, in the Navy. He flew, oh, cool. he, he flew choppers, and uh, yeah. he's now a pilot for um, United Airlines. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Fascinating. And then when you talk about working for Boeing as a contract, my father actually physically worked at Boeing, working on airplanes. Oh, really? In Wait, up in Seattle? Yeah. Up in Seattle, yeah. Do you know which, which uh, factory he worked at? I have no idea. I just know yeah. it's where he worked up there. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the different, you know, Renton's for the smaller ones, and then Everett yeah. is where they made the, the large yeah. body. Yeah, aircraft. so he was working there. Yeah, so you guys oh, got some cool. common. And plus, yeah. what's weird too? You went to school in Ohio, so he was born in Ohio. Oh, really? And we got some kismet going on here. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting. And we're both in California too. Yes, yeah, so, so we're both go. from California. Yeah, yeah. See, guys, that's why we don't look at it as coincidence. <laughs> it's yeah, just synchronicities. They Synchronicity. Keep, uh, keep too occurring. much up. So, <laughs> when did you realize that you had abilities? Uh. Well, I, I can tell you, that, you know, it's uh, I, the, the way I started my first paranormal book. I, I said, it's not that I believe in ghosts. It's that they believe in me. So I don't have a mm -hmm. choice. So it's just you're kind of pulled into it. And uh, really, my first paranormal experience was when I was five years old and I was in northern Norway. We were visiting my grandmother in a, on this remote island, 200 miles above the Arctic Circle. And I had a, a healing experience from an angelic entity. And uh, that kind of opened the doors for me from that point on. My mother said it was, my mother was very psychic as well. So there's something in the bloodlines, I guess. And uh, so th uh, that kind of opened the doors for me. And for, mm -hmm. from then on, um, I've had experiences. Now they were random, but they were frequent, uh, ranging everything from, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, good stuff like angelic stuff, demonic stuff, uh, ghosts, of course, telepathy, telekinesis, uh, cryptids, you know, I just like I'm a paranormal lightning rod, but it, I've always seemed like it was just happening to me and I didn't have any kind of management skills or whatever. And then, uh, and this is the way my life was until uh, uh, 2016 when uh, and I documented everything, but I didn't talk to anybody about it because when you work at Boeing in the in, you know, mm -hmm. with I had a clearance and everything, you can't really talk about, oh, I talk to dead people and see ghosts and stuff <laughs> all the time. Right. And uh, and then, in, of course, in the military, you can't do it either or working in a prison, you know. So uh, and then as an academic, it's also it, it's not popular because, you you know, I was afraid I'd lose my my tenure or people would get rid of me. They wouldn't take me seriously. But uh, in 2016, my friend Gene, who is also Norwegian-American, uh, he passed away. And a month after he died, he came to me in a vision. And when I say a vision, it's just like you and I are talking, but he's more, uh, uh, not, 
not transparent, but he's kind of like a hologram. You know, that's kind of what it looks right, like. Right, right. They have that I, look, right. Yeah, when I have a vision. But communicating with me. And, uh, and so a month after he died, and he said that it was time for me to tell my stories and to not be afraid. And even gave me the name of the book. He said it should be called Timeless because we're all timeless. And uh, there's no future. There's no past. It's just an eternal now. And that's Ooh. that's where he was. So he encouraged me, told me not to be afraid. So then I wrote three books documenting 89 different paranormal experiences, ranging from all those things I said, including alien stuff, too. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the last book I wrote, Timeless Trinity, I started talking about my alien experiences. I, I wanted to save that for the third book because I wanted to kind of stick my toe in the water a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to jump all the way in, even though Gene said it would be OK. And he was right. It was OK. I didn't get fired. Uh, you know, my friends didn't abandon me. My family didn't abandon me. So, um, you know, they might think I'm a little eccentric, but that's about it. And the uh, college even let me teach a paranormal course. There you go. So, so it just all these people come up to support it and people come and talk to me and they think I'm a safe source to talk to. You know, nobody they know it. I, I will listen to them and acknowledge them and believe them. And and uh, and then uh, this latest book, uh, since 2018, I've been in constant communication well not constant but frequent i'd say a couple times a week when i take spirit walks kind of like meditative walks uh up near the san gabriel mountains here beautiful mm -hmm. place uh i i've been in contact with anzar who has told me he's an ancient alien mystic and uh so that's been since 2018 a couple times a couple times a week and uh, i've documented all those conversations that we've had and that became the book, Ansar the Progenitor. Actually, the first part of the book is my theoretical uh, research on how the spirit world, alien world, and quantum worlds are really the same thing. And then it starts chronologically from 2018 until uh, actually through May of this year, uh, my communication with him, and including uh, his predictions and prophecies and preparations that he's giving me uh, and also, uh, at the end of the book, I list 45 of the most profound things that he's told me that I've learned from him. And, uh, and the person who wrote the uh, foreword to the book uh, is the, was the only other person who's seen Anzar other than me. And she's a member of CERO, the Close Encounter uh, Resource Organization, uh, the president of which is uh, Yvonne Smith, who's a hypnotherapist. Uh, down here in Southern California. And anyway, uh, my friend Lucinda uh, saw Anzar at a meeting. I asked Anzar to come to one of our Ciro meetings. And at the end, I asked, did anybody see anything? And Lucinda said, yes, who's the big native looking dude standing behind you? <laughs> and uh, and I said, explain. And she said, well, he kind of looks like a, a Southwest Indian, uh, you know, Kachina doll. He, he's and, and that's, you know, he has a he's very tall. I'm six, three. He's like seven feet tall and he's uh, he does have a kind of a proto-human look or a very interesting look. And uh, when I told her, yeah, that's Anzar, she said, no way. And I said, yeah. And she took out her her wallet and showed me her driver's license. And the address listed on her driver's license was uh, Via de Anzar, her wow. house number and then Via de Anzar, which means the way to Anzar. So talk about synchronicities. I mean, oh, yeah. There, that was meant to happen. And um, and now there's been one other person, actually, my friend Terry Lovelace, who's uh, uh, a contactee and he was in the military when it happened. He's kind of well known in the in the ufology community. Uh, he uh, his 
fr his friend who's a medium and him contacted Anzar too. They asked me if it was okay if they did. And I said, sure, the more the merrier, you know, to, to me, that's great. You know, that means, uh, so Terry and, and his friend who's the medium and Lucy and myself now are the ones I know about that have talked to Anzar. Interesting. When, because all, because you take these walks, is that when you pretty much contact whoever you're going to contact or do you do readings with people or how does that work? I, I don't do readings, so I'm not a, uh, a professional psychic, okay. you know. I don't have that kind of discipline, you know. That takes a great deal of discipline and, and, yes. and patience. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, so there's some very, very talented people I know who, who do do that. And uh, so whenever I do it, make contact with those that have passed on uh, in the spirit world, I, I do it just like a favor, you know, friends or somebody will say, hey, my Uncle Louie passed away. Could you, you know, get a hold of him? And I'll say, I'll try. And then usually I can. And mm -hmm. then I, I just help them to make the connection and give them some kind of proof of life after life. And that makes them happy. And, and, and that's why I do it. But for the most part, I'm just uh, trying to gain wisdom. Uh, I contact my friend Gene, who I mentioned, mm -hmm. and a couple of others, some relatives, my mom and dad, Anzar, and, and my spirit guides, who are the ones I usually talk to. So, and uh, it's pretty intense. So the first couple times I did it in 2018, I didn't uh, record anything. I just tried to remember and I was forgetting everything. So I, now every spirit walk I take, I take my phone and I record it. And so it's not that you can hear the voice of Anzar, but he, what I hear, I will say into the phone. So then I have a record of it when I get home. I'm a historian, so I like to document everything. So I, I you know, do a transcript and I have over 300 pages of um, transcripts from these uh walks since 2018 and wow. uh, sometimes they can be quite lengthy uh sometimes they're shorter depending on what's going on but uh that's what i use to, to you know for the book and uh and i continue i just took a walk this morning and and talked to him a little interesting. bit so, yeah and it's uh you know it's 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 interesting because uh, for many but uh you know doing this kind of stuff i found that it's good to stay grounded as well mm -hmm. because uh you know my wife ginger she uh is very supportive but she's not a psychic she's you know she's just she's a very talented very intuitive person but you know she just kind of lets me do my thing and and i'll be talking about these fantastic things that anzar told me she said oh, that's really good and, and then can you help me you know go dig a hole or something you know <laughs> out in the yard so you know she's very very practical and uh, so that that is is good, I think, because then I'm not in the ethereal world all the time. Right. You know, I was married to somebody who was also a psychic. You know, that would just never stop. Right, right, right. And you need a break every once in a while. You got to take a break. <laughs> I was going to say, when you first started doing this, did you find yourself becoming exhausted afterwards? Because I know it takes a lot of yeah. energy. It it's very exhausting, and also I wasn't doing adequate protection, so I was being inundated. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I know. It's the first time I just put up the radar dish and said, okay. And I didn't ask for, you know, any kind of, well, my spirit guides, one of them anyways, kind of like a bouncer at a bar, you know, <laughs> they don't, it, it, what was happening, it seemed to me like they were just rushing through the door uh, and mm -hmm. it's not necessarily malevolency. It's, they were, they were nice people, spirits or whatever. They just were so desperate to want to talk to somebody because here's a guy who they can talk to, you know, right. so it was just, you know, they were all talking at the same, it was just crazy. So I said, okay, that's not going to work. Uh, I'm going to have to get some kind of protection. So I asked for protection and now I just, they let in who I want to let in to talk to. Interesting. Uh, and, and, and that's how I do it. And it, it is exhausting. 
And, uh, you know, you have to do adequate protection before and, and some kind of cleansing afterwards. Otherwise, you carry stuff with you, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're doing somebody's relative. You, I mean, you know them, but you don't know them, everything about them. So you want to, you know, cleanse yourself of that and not drag that into your house with you after you're done. And uh, I think it's just as important to know how to turn it off as it is to turn it on. And uh, that's one of the skills I've, I've really learned because uh, earlier in my life, I, couldn't, I would have a lot of trouble going to parties if mm-hmm. there were a lot of people because I could uh, like hear people's intentions and stuff. Not so much reading their minds, but you could hear their intentions and that's bad enough, you know. And it's like you can't relax, you know. They're just, it's just, so I'd have to go like find one person and just really concentrate on talking to them. And they would like want to go somewhere. And I'm no, no, you got to stay right here <laughs> just so I can drown out the everything. So it's kind of like that scene in Twilight when they go to dinner and she can't hear, but he can, you know, and their intentions are there and, you know, about their yeah. food and whatever when they're sitting there. Yeah. It's, I understand it, that. I've been to movies with mediums and psychics and they, 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 they're constantly turning around going, leave me alone. Don't bug me. I'm trying to watch my movie. Yeah. It, it, so you, yeah. So turning it off is really important for me and, and uh, so I, I don't say I have control over all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do have some kind of management process. You know, I can manage it better. I can turn it off and turn it on. And uh, so that's good. And uh, it's not like I can do, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, it's, there's like a misconception, as you know, that a lot of people think it's like Harry Potter or something, you know. And, right. It's it's a lot more subtle than that, but it is it is real. It is not make believe. I mean that that's the cool thing about it. A lot of people think, oh, you just can't you know flip a bus over with your mind. Well, no, there might be you know one and a you know trillion people that could maybe do come close to that. But most people, it's very subtle, but it's very real, and and that's the part that that is I think fascinating and. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a friend, a scientist friend, Dean Radin, who's the chief scientist at IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, mm-hmm. which I think is up there in Petaluma. And uh, anyway, he uh, he wrote a book called Real Magic, and uh, and he, uh, he you know he, he's a fascinating guy. And uh, uh, our friendship was kind of based on I I got him as a guest speaker for my paranormal class, and then I started getting other guest speakers, and and. Uh, but but the idea is that he that's what he says you know we have over a hundred years of evidence you know scientific evidence that it's real that the paranormal is real you know that that you know what uh, psychokinesis is real and telepathy is real and mediumship is real but still there's most you know the general population is very doubtful about it and scientists are terrified of it you know, even though they believe it privately they don't say so publicly because they don't want to lose their funding which was the same fear I had, you know, as mm-hmm. an academic. But I can just say that uh, uh, things have, have been fine since I've, you know, it, it is different. People look at me a little different, you know, they, mm-hmm. but they also trust me to tell me their ghost stories or paranormal experiences too. So, yeah, it's, it's like a different relationship, but it's, it's, I think, in some ways better. Well, I was going to say, because you're a PhD, you know, and I know, you know, as a man of, you know, having that, you know, ha- having that much degree and then, the, like you say, knowing scientists, I was wondering what type of reaction you had. Try- I mean, if you were trying to look at this stuff logically when it started happening. Yeah, I, I uh, uh, well, I, I kept it to myself for so long. I mean, I, 
I mean, it was only 2016 that I really stepped mm -hmm. out into the light and, and said, and the thing about it is when, when you do say that all these things have happened, there's no going back. You can't say, oh, I'm mm -hmm. just kidding, you know. So, you know, it is a major move in your life. Yeah. But for me, uh, now, I probably, because I'm towards the end of my academic career, you know, it's like I'm not afraid. You know, I'm 60, I'm almost 63, so it's, what are they going to do to me? I got a tenure, you know, so I'm not harming anybody. You mm -hmm. know? So, uh, so, you know, they, that's part, there's some safety there. But uh, there's still always with the paranormal, uh, and I think this is natural, there's always, I, sometimes I'm a little skeptical, not, you know, sure. not to the point of not believing anything, but just when I hear something I hadn't quite heard before, I'm always like, oh, really? Okay, let me take a look at that. I'm going to do some research on it, see if I can find out other people's experiences, try to find the, is there some kind of commonality to some other experience? And so there's always that part of me, you know, that research part of me that wants to kind of be neutral, but then mm -hmm. I always get right back to, wait a second, I talked to an ancient alien. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, so, uh, it, and, and it, um, so then you come right back to it uh, again, you know, that it's, it's real, but I think it's very, I think it's healthy for people to be just to have a little bit of skepticism, just so they, you know, they don't get snookered, you know, cause there are people out there, uh, who are, I guess you could call them in the old fashioned sense, charlatans, you know, mm -hmm. that, oh, that, yes. uh, that are faking things. And, and that really makes it, it's really a disservice to all humankind, I think, because this is such a wonderful thing that all of us have, have abilities that, that, uh, uh, that so many people have not tapped into because they've been afraid or taught that it's not real or taught that it's evil or whatever. And, and it's really, it couldn't be more natural. Like I always say, the supernatural is natural and the, paranormal is normal let's so. talk about anzar a little bit when yeah. he first came in how did you meet him i mean did he come to you or did you reach out and maybe hey i want to talk to an ancient alien yeah yeah that's, that it's an interesting well it 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 was very gradual uh but i've traced it back to uh an experience i had in 1964 when i was six years old and uh, i didn't know him as anzar i didn't know him as a progenitor in fact i thought he was a monster uh, I saw a light in the backyard and I, um, you know, I had these, uh, a room that faced towards our backyard up to this hill. There was another house above us. And then there was a Nike missile site on the top of the hill. Wow. So that's a natural place for aliens to want to, you know, they seem to hang out at those places. So, uh, I saw a light back there and then I saw the figure of, of what I thought was a monster. I mean, he was huge and he had a upside down teardrop shaped head with these long slanty eyes spoke to me telepathically i didn't know to call him an alien i just thought he was a monster and he told me uh that uh, uh i he said i might look like a monster but the man that lives in the house above your house is the real monster he's warning me about that guy and as it turned out and long story short as it turned out the man that lived in that house above us our neighbor uh, was a child molester. Wow. And he warned me about it and he made it so I didn't have to, cause I was going up there to play with their children sometimes. And I knew he was weird, but as a six year old, you don't know the ways of the world. I just knew that he acted like a kid mm -hmm. and that was the adults don't act like that. You know, he's acting like a little child and, uh, he did weird things that I knew were, were wrong. So I never took part in it, but other kids did. 
And uh, I was very uncomfortable, but I didn't know what to tell my parents. So Anzar, I didn't know him as Anzar. I just thought he was this scary guy that appeared. Yeah, he said, you don't have to go there anymore and just tell your mom and she'll be totally okay with it. And I said, okay. And uh, so that was the, the first, uh, that was in 1964. And then uh, he's kind of been with me the whole time. I mean, I've had uh, alien contact in 19, 1973, 1977, 1978. And then the next time I can kind of track Anzar, uh, you know, that he's not just observing, but actually uh, with me was in 1997. I had a vision, like I explained earlier. Mm-hmm. And in that vision, he let me know his name. Well, at least part of it. He said he's the progenitor and meaning the first. And uh, so he was, in other words, the one that contacted humans that gave us a nudge in our evolution which is what he's doing right now too. He's mm-hmm. giving nudges as he says. But in 97, I, I saw him uh, in a vision. He was revolving in space. He had that proto-human look. Uh, he told me how uh, reality works, you know, and, and uh, about the nature of time and reality, uh, how, uh, you know, how uh, the, the different dimensions are connected. And uh, I wrote everything down. I drew a picture of him, but I kept it to myself. That was in 1997. Mm-hmm. Then in 2001, uh, there was uh, another professor who I thought would be cool enough to listen to the story and be okay with it. And uh, she's a, she was an anthropologist and she studied uh, ancient religions and shamanism. So I said, okay, she'll, she'll dig it. She'll think it's okay. She'll believe me. So I told her, I showed her the picture I'd drawn and she just looked at me and said, you're a pretty spacey dude, aren't you? And I thought, man, I wasn't expecting that reaction. So I said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's, I just put away my drawing and I, would, I didn't talk about it again. So that kind of scared me off. So it wasn't until 2016 that I just, you know, when, I, when Gene told me to, uh, to not be afraid and to actually, it was time to tell my stories. It was not just time, but it was my mission to do so. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so that's then I started. I had documented everything that's happened. So then I just put it into book form. And next thing I know, there's three books. It's a trilogy. And uh, in 2018, I was talking to Gene on one of these spirit walks, and I said, Gene, I'd really like to uh, talk to the progenitor again. And he said, He's here. You know, he said because the spirit world and the alien world and the quantum world are all the same thing. He said, He's here, and yeah, you can talk to him. So I started talking to the progenitor and I asked, is there another name you go by? And he said, Anzar. So that's why I call him Anzar, the progenitor. And uh, I've been in contact with him ever since. And he's, he's told me a lot of really cool things. One of the things that I think is most important, kind of the message that I'm supposed to like convey is uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I had it written down here from the book. So I want to make sure I get his quote, right. Uh, you know, with all the UFO and alien stuff and, and the government coming out with their report in June, there's supposed to be an update in September. It's kind of a disappointing report, but I could mm-hmm. kind of read between the lines. But anyway, he told me, he said, um, this is Anzar told me, he said, extraterrestrial technology and wisdom are precious gifts for all, not a strategic advantage for the few. Mm. So this idea that somehow... Uh, we're going to figure out a way to use it against our enemies. You know, that right. somehow these these uh, UAPs, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena can somehow be used for a defense purpose or an offensive purpose. 
Uh, that's totally against what it's supposed to be. It can't be used for that. And it's supposed to be for the benefit of all human beings, not just for one group over another. And, uh, and he explicitly told me that the, the technology cannot be used to harm anybody, uh, which goes against the, uh, if you read the, uh, the report that came out in June, uh, it mentions the word threat, I think, eight times in there. So obviously our government's looking at it as, as, a, as a military threat, as a, uh, an existential threat, when actually it's an it's a existential gift and a, and, a, and a cause for us to, as Ansar says, take a leap of consciousness to the next level of our evolution. And that's where they're missing the boat. A lot of the, I think, the government types who think in those type of terms, which I understand. You know, I, I was in the military. I was in the defense industry. I understand that. But this goes beyond that. This is universal. And uh, that's really the essence of what he's been telling me. And he's made a couple of predictions, although, or prophecies, uh, like a year before COVID, he told me there'd be a series of calamities that would impact the entire world. He wasn't always very specific about things because he said there's free will and there's variables, lots of variables, so you can never predict exactly. He said, he always tells me, he says, predictions can be wrong, but preparations are never wrong. Mm -hmm. So I've made preparations and we were pretty well prepared when we went into lockdown and, and still are very prepared. Uh, and um, he told me interesting uh, along those lines in uh, September of 2020, he told me that there would be a, and these are his exact words, he said there would be a pocket revolution, an insurrection in our, w within the United States. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, that's the term. I know people say, oh, it wasn't a real insurrection or whatever, but that is the term that's used for what happened on January 6th. You know, I, I don't like to get political or anything, but right, that's, right. that's what he told me. You know, I'm not taking a stand on anything. I'm just saying what he told me. He used that term. Uh, you know, a pocket revolution, which is an interesting, I've never heard that before. I mean, I yeah. teach history and I've never heard that said, uh, but then he used the word insurrection. So, so he's giving me warnings, <coughs> uh, you know, of, of things that will then come about, maybe not exactly that way <coughs> and not ex at an exact time prediction, but, you know, generally that's what's going to happen. So uh, it's preparation is what it is. Sorry, I have to talk. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, you have more reason that. to cough than me Ooh, with all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you talk about time and you know the, the time frame for for him being able to be around you or, or being in, in in this, I don't want to say time zone, but area. Okay. What is their sense of time as opposed to our sense of time? Well, well, they don't have what, what we have—the linear time. So. That's another thing he always says. Now, I say, okay, is this going to happen in a month or in two months or whatever? And mm -hmm. it, it, the reference, he knows what I mean by that, but that doesn't have any meaning for them because they, the, you know, it's the eternal now. It's everything all at once. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a different way. And Gene tried to explain that to me as well, that it's the eternal now. So our linear time is, is a very different concept than what they're experiencing, where, you know, where they are. And uh, so that way it, it's hard for them. I mean, they can see what's going to, what's happening, what will happen because it's already happened, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so it reverberates, 
forwards and backwards, just like the, the quantum world, how subatomic particles work and, and you know, mm -hmm. bilocation and all this other stuff. So, uh, so the concept of time gets kind of muddled and hard for me to understand, but generally uh, he's been very helpful in helping me prepare for, you know, things that are, that are going to come up. And um, lately uh, back in June, he started to tell me about um, uh, what it, uh, massive disruptions that are, that are coming up in, in the near future, you know, it, mm -hmm. as I understand it. And uh, so, and, and I think that's been, that's been occurring and, uh, and it continues to occur. And um, so ultimately there's a lot of resistance to this leap of consciousness. And he said, the interesting thing about this leap of consciousness is that a lot of people res will resist it, but ultimately there's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations, but ultimately we'll get to an era of reconversion. He calls it era of reconversion, which means that we will, understand and appreciate the wisdom of our of our ancient ancestors you know how they connected to the universe and the earth and everything and uh you know they're kind of custodians that you know, i think the aboriginal people when people ask them is this your territory and they they say no we belong to the territory we don't own the territory we're part of it and you know that kind of idea so the wisdom of the ancients along with our modern technology kind of match together so there won't be any more scientists not believing psychics kind of thing it'll be all meshed together underlying all of it is consciousness so that's, that, that's what he's been telling me that that's where we're headed so the good news is that we're headed to a very good place but we have a a very rocky road to get there that's <laughs> that's the problem as as we're seeing you know has he talked about his own planet well i asked him about that and uh He's a little bit coy, although he said the uh, Rigel in Orion. So he gives me the, uh, you know, and I've always been attracted to Orion since I was a little kid. I always, mm -hmm. I, I always find Orion when it's, when I can see it. <clears throat> and um, he said the Rigel system, which I think is a trinary system. But other than that, he hasn't given me any other reference point. And I thought about it from a, um, our human perspective. And if you're like overseas and somebody says, uh, where are you from? I usually won't say, you know, well, I, I, I live in, in Glendora, California, you know, I'll, I'll say, well, I'm an American, you know, so I just use a more general reference. And if they really want, oh, well, where in America? Well, you know, California. Oh, okay. Where in, well, Southern California. Okay. So, you know, they, they get the idea, you know, the okay. general idea. They don't need to know the address or whatever, you know, or the specific, even the specific town, unless it's a major, like, you know, New York or something, I suppose everybody would know. But has anyway, he, that's what he's told me. Has he talked about the people, the, the people in general, his people? Well, he said that um, when I asked him about the others, you know, the other aliens or extraterrestrials, he, he says mm -hmm. that there are many different uh, types, many different species, I guess, whatever you'd like mm -hmm. to say. But the, the unifying thing is that we're all related. We're all related to him. We're all re related together. You know, that we come from the same consciousness, the one consciousness. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, when I asked him, well, are they all like you? You know, their intentions or whatever. And he said, well, 
he said, remember your history. He actually, in instead of answering with words sometimes that I hear, he shows me mm -hmm. like a newsreel. <laughs> so I saw, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the conquistadors and the early explorers, you know, the Vikings or, or mm -hmm. Columbus or whatever, and, and the westward movement. And he said, uh, in Earth, in your history that you know, in the, in the, uh, the Americas, everybody different groups had different intentions you know you had the the conquistadors obviously looking for gold and to take over and and you had the missionaries who wanted to convert souls and then you had the settlers and the merchants and the and the adventurers and fur trappers and you know that all these different people with all these different intentions he said it's the same thing with the different alien groups they all have different intentions some of them are nice to us or, or care about us. Some of them are kind of neutral. And then he said, some, you know, don't care that much about human beings. Mm -hmm. He's not saying they're necessarily evil. He says that's kind of a relative term, but that they don't really, uh, not that concerned with us. <laughs> did you ask, along that line, did you ask him about the ones that are, that are taking people? I, I, I didn't ask him specifically who was taking people because there there could be different groups, right? Uh, from what I understand, that that do. And I know my personal experience uh, in abduction. I prefer to call it reunion because I think mm -hmm. you know because we're all related, and I've I've turned all of it into more of a positive experience. But I do know, like my friend uh, Terry Lovelace, that there are people who have very very negative experiences. But most of mine have been pretty positive, with the exception of a. Uh, a, f a female uh, reptilian who was rather rough. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, the little grays, the tall grays, the insectoid, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a, a, a terrible experience in, in, the, in the long view of history that I have mm -hmm. of it. Uh, obviously traumatic at the time, even my first in 64, my first meeting with, with Ansar, who I would come to know as Ansar, I was so traumatized by the experience that I couldn't talk for two years. I had great difficulty speaking. I was normal. You know, I communicated normally in two languages, even, you know, Norwegian and English. And then I had that experience at six. And then all of a sudden I had to go two, two hours a day. I would be taken out of my class and put into speech therapy. And I did that for two years until I could start talking again. I was stammering and stuttering and didn't want to talk. And, um, and so, so that's a, a physical uh, result of this, you know, the shock of, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I thought he was a monster, but, you know, he turned out that he was an alien. And uh, a lot of people carry that with them and some get better and some just are traumatized or even develop PTSD as a result of their uh, experiences. But, uh, yeah. No, go ahead. No, so I, I, I think that uh, everybody's a little bit different how they look at it. You know, like my first experience with Ansar, even though he rescued me from a, a, a child molester, which mm -hmm. would have been a horrible, you know, thing that would have happened to me, uh, I still was traumatized by the experience. I mean, the intervention was great, but the result of the intervention was also I paid a price for that. But now, you know, even though I couldn't uh, talk for two years, now, as my wife says, I never stop talking. I talk for a living, you know, so it's okay. So I made up for it. <laughs> I have a question for the chat room. I guess she's yeah. asking, which aliens are the ones to avoid? I don't think you can avoid them, can you? Yeah, well, if I had a choice, I would avoid the, uh, <laughs> put it that way. If I had a choice, yeah, it's very difficult to avoid them because they, 
you know, vibrate in out of their, uh, you know, the, the implicate order. We're, we're here, you know, in the explicate order in our everyday right. subjective reality. So they can vibrate in, out, and, you know, whatever at any time. But the ones that I would choose not, if I could choose, would be the reptilians because they're a little bit rough and scary. Now, my experience with the female reptilian, I, I was having a very pleasant dream about my mom. My mom passed away in 1990. So I was just having a nice time chatting with my mom. Oh, I love my mom. Here she is. And it's just so great to see her again. And then, and then I kind of woke up from the dream, but I was still had the residual you know, of the dream, very lucid. And then all of a sudden, my mom started to act weird, like, 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 I don't know, like Mae West or something. You know, she was just, <laughs> no, that's not how my mom was. That's just not, that's not right. And then all of a sudden, my mom's face morphed into this female reptilian face. And uh, it's on the cover of my third book, um, The uh, Timeless uh, uh, Trinity. And uh, anyway, so she, she was alluring and frightening at the same time. I, I, that's the best way I can describe it. She grabs me in this lucid dream. She grabs me, pushes me up against the wall and tells me telepathically, she tells me, uh, I can do whatever I want to you and there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. That was her message to me. And then she let me go and I woke up and I thought, okay, I don't want to have that experience anymore. She didn't hurt me. I wasn't any, you know, psychic or physical damage, but right. um, quite frightening and, and not pleasant. You know, the, the insectoid, as scary as he looked, you know, in 73, I had this experience, kind of a classic experience on an exam table with surrounded by little gray guys. And I had this like harness on my head and uh, the uh, insectoid doctor who I say kind of looks like a cross between a Jerusalem cricket and a praying mantis. He kind of yeah. has that look to him. So very frightening, but he actually wasn't a bad guy. He was just doing his job. That's what impression i got and uh in fact i told him oh this hurts you know this the harness or whatever they had in my head this clamp and he got mad at the little gray guys and made them take it off of my head so okay well he's got some bedside manner i guess and then i asked him what's going on and telepathically he's telling me uh you're here for special processing that's all you need to know and then touched my forehead and i was back in my bed again so that was in 1973. So I've had encounters with different, different types. And, uh, but ultimately I think it's all been, you know, positive in the long run. It's been, mm -hmm. it's been positive. So I hope that answered the question. I got kind of all around it, but. Oh, that's okay. I, I it did for me. I don't <laughs> I know. know about the insect, the, the insectoids, you know, like you hear the stories about you're, you're laying in bed at night and the praying mantis, the seven foot praying mantis comes into your room. <laughs> I don't know if that, that, I'd react to that. It's it it is it, yeah it it it's it, it's a little unnerving, but because you're so um, kind of out of it, yeah. It's like you're not it, you're not it's like not like you and I are right now very you know lucid talking. But it, when you're when I was in that exam thing, it's like I was kind of out of it a little bit, so I wasn't reacting as sharply as I would have, and and which is probably good. You know, I didn't go into this total panic mode. I always but, get the giggles because at the city zoo here, they have a uh, merry-go-round for the kids, and it's all giant in insects. <laughs> and when I see the prey, yeah, <laughs> they're always wondering why I'm rolling over because I'm thinking, oh my god, there's one right there. <laughs> yeah, and you know we have them in our garden, and I, I I talk to them. You know, I see them, and I go, they they 
they just look really intelligent when you look they at do. them. I mean, you look at them and they're just, and apparently they can like attack and capture hummingbirds, which I didn't know. I didn't know they were capable of that, but I guess they have a, a hunting method or whatever. But for the most part, they're pretty, I don't, I, I love hummingbirds. So they I, look like they're trying to figure you out. The praying mantises do. Yes. So trying and, to figure stuff out. And the, and the Jerusalem cricket, uh, also is a very frightening looking bug. Usually when you're digging in the garden, all of a sudden this giant thing with like a human face almost, except mm-hmm. it's a bug face, but it's kind of round or oblong. And Oh God, it's kind of strange looking. I always feel like, Oh, there you are again. There's a face again. <laughs> so, but I'd, I'd say, yeah, if you could avoid the, uh, the, um, of all of them, the ones I'd say to avoid are the uh, reptilians, but, you really can't do much uh, about it. You know, I know people say I, I pray, I put protection on, I do whatever. And, and still they, I think they can with impunity do what they want. And, um, and so I just live with it. You know, that's, that's all you can do. You just live with it and you put it into perspective and learn from it. You know, that's all you can do. Now, when you talk about, you know, that dream of your mother and mm-hmm. the reptilian able to take your technically take your mother's form. Yeah. Shape-shifting. Is that yeah. a frequent thing that happens with shape-shifting with them? I mean, can they come back as your relatives? Or, or maybe th- maybe your dead relatives you're seeing are these things? It Well, there's a possibility. You know, I don't think anybody knows for sure. But definitely in this case, that's that's what happened. Uh, you know, you always hear about people going, you know, you watch these Excuse ghost me. shows and they go into a... Uh, a building and they hear, Oh, it's, they said there's a little girl in the building that you can talk to this ghost. Mm -hmm. that's a little girl. And then they always say, Oh, be careful. You know, that could be a demon, you know, uh, depicting themselves as a little girl. So you never know Mm -hmm. in the, in that realm, uh, especially with shapeshifters, what, what they really are. So you really have to kind of trust your gut. So as soon as I saw my mom acting like Mae West, I said, that's not my mom. <laughs> you know, even before the right. morphine. Of it's the, not funny, but it is listening yeah, to it. It is. No, it is funny. It is funny because I'm why am I being attracted to my mom? That's not right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, anyway, so then, yeah, all of a sudden. So I think you have to go with your gut and, and just be cautious. Like, like when I, I've had, you know, terrible experiences where I wasn't cautious, um, and I don't know if you want me to, t- a, a, sure. a, a, a really scary episode in Chicago. This is, a, this is a cautionary tale because I was on one of these late night radio shows and a lot of people got a hold of me. And one guy was a film producer and he said, yeah, I want to make a documentary. And I really uh, think that you'd be the one to, I want to fly out to Chicago and test your abilities to see if you'd be the right person to be the psychic in this show. And I, I took it as a challenge. I go, oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. Sure, I can. I was really going to really lay it on thick, you know, and really do a good mm-hmm. job and really be on point. And uh, so I, I let my pride get in the way. Anyway, I, I had him, uh, he offered to send me and, and Ginger to Chicago and put us up in a hotel. And then he took me around to different sites. And he, he wouldn't tell me what happened there. You know, obviously something paranormal happened there, but he wouldn't tell me exactly what. And he took me to like a, a an old uh, country road. I think it was kind of west of Chicago, and it was uh, there was these old creepy buildings and a and a and an old graveyard. And I you know I picked up on some things, and it wasn't really that impressed. I could tell he wasn't impressed, you know. So I was like, oh darn, I really have to do a really good job. So then he took me to the south side of Chicago, really scary neighborhood, you know, and. Uh, right. 
he he drove he parked in an Aldi's parking lot of all places and I said okay this is it I got to he all he told me this is a dark place and I said okay and I got out of the car and I said I'm going to show him what I can do he had me mic'd up but he has problems with the camera so he couldn't he didn't have the camera on but he had me mic'd up so he's listening to me as soon as I got out of the car I said okay this is it I really have to show him I saw like I always say it's like a newsreel but it's black and white you know like those old jerky uh films of uh, the 1890s, you know, I could identify the period. I'm a historian, so, you know, the, the dark clothing, men and women moving. They were all ignoring me, you know, horses and buggies and stuff. And uh, except one man who was standing there just staring at me, and he had a black bowler hat and a big curly mustache and these dark eyes and a long overcoat. And he was just staring at me like he was kind of scary. And then all of a sudden, it disappeared, right? So I said, mm-hmm. oh, I got to reconnect. So I started wandering around in this alley behind the Aldi's parking lot. And there was this old tree. And oftentimes I like to touch things that are old so I can see if I pick up anything. So I was about to touch the tree. And all of a sudden I was driven into the ground. And I'm mic'd up. So I'm like narrating this whole thing. And I was driven into the ground really hard to where I injured my knee and my hyperextended my left toe. And I was held down. Now there was nobody there. It was all a psychic force, right? But... Mind you, I didn't protect myself at all. I just put wow. up the radar and I just was because I was trying to impress this guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was going to film me and stuff. So, and so I was driven into the ground and I'm a big guy. I'm, a, I'm 6'3, 270. So, I'm to put me down to the ground is, takes a lot of force. The worst part of it was that I couldn't get up, I was losing my will. And then I started to see these men, women, and children that were all being tortured in this dungeon and they were like, reaching up at me like ah in agony it's just this hor- like like dante you know or something it was uh, dante's inferno is horrible and i was like i was almost giving up and then i said no i'm gonna get up so i i said okay i'm gonna get up and i was injured but i i got up and uh i went i was heading back towards the car he was the producer was filming or was running towards me and he said what happened? And I, you know, he said, I was listening. That's terrible. And I said, you got to get me out of here. This is, I feel like I've been bushwhacked. You know, this is psychically bushwhacked. This is terrible. He said, okay, I'm feeling strange too. And then he, we got in the car, he put his equipment in the trunk and we started to take off. And I said, you got to tell me, what is this place? And he said, this was the site of the murder hotel in the 1890s. Dr. H.H. Oh, wow. H. Holmes was America's first mass murderer. Uh, he built this hotel to kill and torture men, women, and children. And he had these underground chambers. He had rooms. He had asphyxiation chambers. And he had all this terrible stuff. They think he maybe killed 300 people in that place mm-hmm. on that location. And uh, I looked it up later just so I knew for sure. So what I had encountered was the demonic force of him or the demonic force that drove him to do what he did. Mm-hmm. But it was still residing there. That's how powerful that dark energy was there. And it Dang. impacted me. It, it, it physically hurt me and psychically hurt me because I was, I was freaked out. I mean, it was really bad. Uh, and even when I got back home and I went to teach my paranormal class, I had three working psychics in the class. And they, they told me, dude, you, you got to go get a spirit cleansing or something. Because I, I told them about Chicago and they said, you got to, you got to, you're making us sick, you know, with your, mm-hmm. this residual negative energy. And I said, okay. And I have a shaman friend who's a, um, a Peruvian shaman, and she did some cleansing. And boy, that was it helped right away. 
but um, that the lesson there is uh, always have protection <laughs> or go in with other psychics or something. Don't don't be a fool and just think you can handle it on wow. your own. That's and a lot course, of energy. Yeah. And if somebody tells me, oh, yeah, we think there's a demon over in that building, I'm going to go the other way. <laughs> I know yeah. what that's like. I don't have to. You know, I believe you. You tell me there is. That's fine. Let it be there. I'm going the other way. Oh, I, do, I don't need that experience. You know, I don't need that's it a anymore. lot of energy. I mean, to walk into what you walked into, you know, with, yeah. I mean, obviously that, that that imprint is still there with those people trying to, you know, get your intention. That's incredible. It's amazing. You weren't wiped out afterwards. I mean, completely yeah. wiped out for a while. I, it was it was really bad. And then he took me to another location, not as dramatic, but it was a one of the most haunted uh, tattoo parlors in America. And it happens to be in Chicago. I think it's the north side of Chicago. Uh -huh. And there was a murder there, and it, it was used to be a a, a, a maus not a mausoleum, but a uh, undertaker's business or whatever. So I picked up on all kinds of stuff there. It was bad, but it was not as bad as. The, the murder hotel site that was I can only imagine that and I, I got mad at the guy and then I, I said well I can't really get me he's 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 you know he didn't put a gun to my head he said yeah uh -huh. you you know you got to impress me if you want to be in this okay so yeah it's just not worth it it, it really isn't and uh, anyway so cautionary tale have, always protect yourself <laughs> I have a couple questions mm -hmm. what protection do you use for everyday life so you're left alone yeah uh i i pray a lot and it doesn't really matter what your belief system is i think acknowledging a higher power a higher consciousness nature whatever you want it to be acknowledging that and asking for protection is very very important every day i do it when i go on my spirit walks i also have uh, um, uh spirit guides that i ask for help not only to make the connection but also to, to provide protection. And then I, I pray, you know, several times a day. And I think that it really does help. It really does help. And that it, and it doesn't have to be any one particular belief system. I think whatever you're comfortable with, if you just acknowledge that, that here we are and there's the universe and, 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 uh, you know, a greater, bigger reality, that if you acknowledge that and ask for protection, you will get some level of protection. You still have to be careful, though. Don't don't get in over your head like I did with uh, H. H. Holmes. <laughs> this leads into this next question from mm -hmm. Jerry. And um, what if you accidentally walk into psychic danger? Yeah, uh, it can happen. Uh, it, it can happen, and you you have to protect yourself as soon as you realize that, that you know you'll feel it. You know the hair on your you know, arm will go up or the back of your neck and you'll, you'll, so you want to extricate yourself out of there, protect yourself, uh, you know, whatever you have to do and, uh, and, and don't try to, to challenge it or challenge whatever it is. Sometimes you get stuck though. I mean, I, on a job interview in, uh, uh, New London, New Hampshire at Colby Sawyer college, I had one of the most profound, um, full bodied apparition ghost experiences I've ever had. And, and, and it's kind of a longer story, but the, the thing is that um, you can't really stop it. I was stuck staying in this old academy building. I, it's not like I could go stay somewhere else. The college put me up there so I could have this job interview. And uh, so I was stuck there with this haunting, this haunted building and this ghost of this lady who was the founder of the college, Susan Colby. And she did not like me being there because 
the college was originally a women's college. So when she founded mm -hmm. it, it was a women's college. And here I was a man in her room in this old academy building. And she was naturally upset. And I can understand why she was upset. So uh, I couldn't extricate myself from there. I just had to try to make peace with it and just realize I'm here until I have to leave. And and I, I know I'll survive. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the H.H. Holmes thing, but it was it was pretty scary. I remember calling uh, my ex-wife now, but I called her up and I told her, I hear other people in the building. There's chairs moving around. There's an old Victrola there. You know, there's all these noises of people, but mm -hmm. there's nobody there. And uh, and that was even before I saw the ghost of Mrs. Colby. And she said, just get out. <laughs> you know, why are you staying there? And I said, because I don't know, maybe it's part of the job interview. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's New Hampshire. Maybe, you know, it kind of looks like a Stephen King kind of town anyway. So maybe, you know, and I've had ghost experiences before, so it's not like I was a rookie. Uh, so I said, I can take it. I can. And she said, man, I would I would leave immediately. So another question. Do you carry any type of talismans with you? Uh, I do not. Uh, but I know people do. Uh, and I think whatever helps you what you know whatever helps you to feel protected i think is important for some people they you know wear something around their neck but or something on their person or carry a you know a, a, some kind of uh you know crystal or whatever uh i don't do that i just it's all it, it's all within me you know and that's uh, but i don't recommend that for everybody. everybody's different whatever comfort level or zone or wherever you can get to that comfort level and zone it and i think that's that's good when people do that. If that helps them, then they, they should do it. For a while, I wore like this Viking thing because of my heritage and, and it was cool. But then I found out I didn't really need it. So, and I think Dean Radin in his book, uh, Real Magic, he says that the, the real uh, connection to all this, it, it, you don't need the robes or the candles or the incantations or magic elixirs or anything. It's all intention or attention and intention. You know, the attention is having a focused calm, as mm -hmm. my spirit friends always tell me, a focused calm. And intention is you have a very clear intention of what you want to do. Like, I want to talk to my friend's Uncle Louie, you know, mm -hmm. and I have extreme intention, focused calm on that and the intention of doing that. And then it usually happens and you, you don't really need anything else. But if something else can help you get to that point, that's okay. And, and, but you don't really need it, but it does, it does help folks to have that. Now there are, I guess, magical objects that have, you know, kind of some uh, embedded uh, stuff in them. Like when I do my, um, I, I can make a, a meditative, con uh, you know, a, uh, um, a spirit contact pretty much anywhere, anytime I want to, but the strongest is in this route that I take on my spirit walk. And it's, it, it's an old road that goes up into the San Gabriel mountains. And it's like three quarters of a mile straight up towards the San Gabriel mountains. So you get this beautiful view and I've found that it's easy to make connections there. And uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, and not, I don't think coincidentally at the base of that road where I take the turn and start onto that road, there's a, uh, a Freemason temple. Wow. And, and those people don't put their temples just anywhere, you know, mm -hmm. because they do a lot of ritual magic. So they want to, you know, enhance whatever they're doing. So I don't think that's coincidental. But uh, the, the things I've picked up on that is that it was an old Indian medicine road, which would make sense because there's a wash there. 
where the water comes down when rainy season and uh, goes up into the mountains into what is now a, a road. But almost all roads were originally either animal or Indian trails for the most part. And that's, that's what it is. And that's, that's what I do. Uh, but really you can make the connection anywhere. Just certain things you can do to make it easier. Very interesting. I have one more question for you yeah. mm -hmm. about Anzar. Has Anzar talked to you about the progress that uh, man on Earth has made? I mean, obviously, the, these aliens have, have been visiting for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So has he t even told, said anything about that? Yeah, he, you know, he says he's the progenitor. So he's been with us for a very, very long time, giving us nudges, as he says. But uh, he said that at this point, because of our ability to impact the environment and not just our environment, but for you know, all other living creatures, he says that we need to take this leap of consciousness. So we, we have made progress uh, and we're, I think we're, we're ready you know, to take that leap. It's just the matter of people realizing that we need to do that. And so that's part of the mission and not just me. But a lot of folks who, who uh, have contact with uh, extraterrestrials almost all say the same thing, that we have to take care of, of our environment because and, and, they've seen what could happen if we don't, you know, like, in, you know, like a vision of what could happen, the devastation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's part of the mission is that uh, he's empowering and nudging us to make this leap so that we can make that connection and save what we have and preserve what we have and realize the the connection to our uh as the as the native americans would call them our star brothers and sisters because now, we, what do you yeah, say we're really all quick, not to interrupt um leap of consciousness what does that mm -hmm. mean for people that don't get it yeah a leap of so consciousness is beneath everything everything how we conceive of our reality is because of mm -hmm. consciousness and there's three levels of reality there, according to David Bohm, the American physicist. So there's the explicate reality or what he called the explicate order, which is our everyday subjective reality, what we're doing right now. Then above that is the implicate reality, which is uh, the quantum world, the spirit world, the alien world. So now they can drop down and give us glimpses. And every once in a while, we can get a glimpse of them in that world. So that's the implicate order. And above that is the super implicate, which is the one consciousness God, the creator, whatever you want to conceive of. <clears throat> and so those are the, the, three, the three levels. So a leap of consciousness is where we, in this subjective reality, realize that the implicate order or the implicate reality does exist and we can make that connection like our ancient ancestors did. It wasn't a big problem for them. They, they consulted the spirits every day. They lived with, mm -hmm. they could see them. They, they were, it was natural to them. In fact, as children were like that, all of us, almost all of us had invisible playmates that mm -hmm. we saw that the adults seemingly didn't see, except my mom did because she was very mm -hmm. psychic. But, uh, you know, we're taught not to talk about them and that they're not real. So then we go, OK, they're not real. But it, we know they were real, you know, uh, even if they're imaginal, which means real, imaginary to some people, but real to us. Right. So um, it, that's that leap that we have to understand how we're connected to the, you know, the, uh, the objective reality. The best way I can explain it is like when you use a computer, we use an interface, right? We use a keyboard, but that's not really a computer. The computer is actually the internal mechanism are these uh, voltages that are being toggled on and off, you know, 
uh, and uh, we don't see that. We interface with our keyboard. So how we interface with the implicate order uh, is with our explicate order, which is kind of like a key computer keyboard. So it's it's interesting when we see how we're we're connected that way, and um, I I think that's the best way I can explain it. So this leap of conscience, it's not necessarily a leap of faith, it's a, an understanding, a very deep understanding, or what Ansar also calls a revelation, not a not a disclosure, which is what the government tells us they're gonna, you know, they talk about disclosure, but that's a very other directed kind of thing. It's like, I'm going to sit here twiddling my thumbs until the government tells me what the truth is or some, mm -hmm. uh, you know, authority, some person in authority revelation is from within it's realizing our, our divine nature. And we take that leap of consciousness when we realize that revelation and then the truth is revealed to us and we'll reach that, uh, you know, that era of reconversion and things will be a lot better than they are now. So it's just going to take a lot of work to get there, though. I, uh, I'm optimistic, but guardedly optimistic. <laughs> it could take quite a while. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been so great. Oh, well, well thank you, Charlotte. I, it hardly really seems like it. an hour. It does. It just, it just blew right by. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's the way it goes when you're talking about cool stuff. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, I, love, yeah. I would love to have you on again at some point, if that's okay. Yeah. Get you back cool. on here because, boy. Yeah. I could listen to you all day. I'll tell you that right now. Well, well, thank you. You're very kind. Thank if you, people Charlie. want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, they can go to my website, bruceolavsolheim.com. And that's uh, my first name, Bruce, middle name, Olav, which is O-L-A-V, Solheim, S-O-L-H-E-I-M.com. And you can find all my books, the plays that I've written, the comic books I've done uh music i mean everything I, I love to do a lot of different things so that's the best way and all the uh timeless books are on amazon and ands are the progenitors on amazon too so you can find it there as well cool cool cool. thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you i appreciate it charlotte you have a great evening sir you too take care okay bye-bye all right that was an awesome show i thoroughly enjoyed myself and i hope you guys did too Coming up, we're going to have a special night for a show. Sunday night, we're going to be on at six, our usual time at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, Pacific Daylight time. And it's going to be a different kind of show. We're kind of shifting gears here. Rhonda Dixon and Henry Ortiz are going to be our guests. Rhonda Dixon is an attorney who also does social justice work. And she's going to be talking about... Uh, racial profiling, you know, when, when uh, people get pulled over, um, you know, this, 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 this renter's help that people are getting. Henry Ortiz is a, who, uh, his nickname here in Sacramento is Community Healer. And what he does is he does, so, he also does social justice work. And he's worked with, with tons and tons of people, you know, coming out of jail to get them adjusted to, to life back on the outside. But he also has helped pass some, some, some key laws in California. And uh, so I thought he would be a great guest to also have on on Sunday to talk with Rhonda. So uh, that's what's going to happen Sunday. And again, that's going to be at 630 Sunday evening. Now, if uh, you want to keep seeing these great shows, just to let you know, my paranormal group is nonprofit. So all this comes out of my pocket. And uh, I could, a little bit of donation would be kind of nice. You can uh, donate at paypal.me at California Haunts. That's paypal.me at California Haunts. And if you really like the shows, and, you, and we, we've done uh, over 56 shows. This is, I think this is show 57. 
you can head over to our YouTube channel and just Google in California Haunts YouTube and it'll pop right up for you. And subscribe to our YouTube channel because, you know, we're doing three shows a week now, hopefully to expand into four shows a week coming up here. So we'll see. Also, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it anyway with people you don't like. <laughs> we just want to get the word out about our show. Um, this month, uh, the downloads at RSS, where we hold our podcast, which goes out to Google and Apple and all those good, cool podcast places. It looks like we're going to surpass last night's uh, last night's last month's download numbers, and uh, so far we're on a good pace for that. So I'm really excited, and it's fun to see the show going out not only in the United States, but it's going out all over the world. We, it goes out as far as Kuwait, and I see a whole lot of a whole lot of interest in the UK and also California and the US is starting to take off now. So the more the merrier that want to listen to this show. But I thank you guys, and I couldn't do this without you guys and your support and your your coming here. You know, three days a week to watch the show, or even even when you can't come three days a week and, and you watch the show later on. And you know, I just I just I just can't thank you guys enough. But again, I'm going to say it again. Thank you, and I hope you have a good next few days. And I will definitely. Um, see you Sunday, but right before I sign off here, I am going to give you the, the initial information of where to get a hold of Bruce, and that would be BruceOliveSolheim.com, and where you can get his books, plus the book on Anzar, which is going to be at www.amazon.com. And once again, I thank you all for coming. And hopefully you'll join me on Sunday for that show because that's going to be a really cool show. Thank you very much.